Today on Ag News Daily. We tend to see uh, a rally at some point in the market in the year post-harvest. So, I mean, if you don't want to do anything and just wait for that, um, you, can, you can always do the, you know, the four-letter word uh, for marketing, which is hope. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. My name is Delaney Howell, joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. And, Mike, we certainly have some huge headlines today. Yeah, yeah, a lot of stuff going on today. It is an exciting week. And, you know, frankly, we got two pieces of news. One of them could be bullish for the market. Certainly wasn't today, at Mm -hmm. least uh, for the grains. The other one is just generally bullish for growers' pocketbooks. Couldn't have come out at a better time, given that tomorrow, Farm Progress Show gets started up in Boone, Iowa. Yeah, and we're going to be powered this week by CAM. So tomorrow, Mike, isn't that right? That is right. So we'll be... Talking tracks, aftermarket tracks, you know, OEM tracks, tractor tracks. They've even got tracks for uh, snowmobiles and four-wheelers and all kinds of crazy stuff. But I I don't know if we'll get to talk about that very much. It's probably going to be tractor tracks for the most part. Yeah, I would guess you're probably right. But we will be there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at the Farm Progress Show in Boone. So if you're going to be there, make sure and find us on social media. You can find us at Ag News Daily. We're going to have a Snapchat filter, so send us those pictures. Yes, and I suppose send them to you. I still don't understand Snapchat, really. Well, you could you could take it on Snapchat and then save it and then tweet it at you since you don't hmm. you're not all up in the know. I'm not. I'm old, Delaney. I know. That's okay. I'm I'm old, but we're chatting a lot here. Let's get to the news. Yes. What are the big headlines? What's the one from USDA that's jumping out at you? Well, Mike, we've got the farmer assistance program guidelines that have come out. There's still a lot of questions, but We're going to try and walk through this here and make it as clear as mud. Perfect. Get started. Let's muddy up the water. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so September 4th, just a week from, uh, let's see, what day is that? A week from Thursday, folks will be able to start signing up with their FSA offices who was going to administer the the, uh, program. So September 4th, folks, write that date down in your calendars. I'm sure your FSA offices are going to be busy. The allocation or uh, dollar amounts is the uh, key part I think that producers are going to want to know here. So I'm going to repeat some of them a couple of times just to make sure you guys get it. So they are going to allocate $1.2 billion in commodities that will go to, they're going to basically pay that much, I think, out and will pull food to administer through some of their food and nutrition programs like SNAP, as I understand it. Then they're also going to dedicate about $200 million to, quote-unquote, expanding or looking at new trade promotions. Those are not the important pieces, folks. Here's what we're going to get to right now. So the payment programs for cotton, it looks like you're going to be getting $0.06 per pound. Corn is going to get a penny per bushel. Dairy is going to get $0.12 cents per hundredweight. Pork is going to get $8 a head. Soybeans are going to get $1.65 per bushel. Sorghum is going to get $0.86 cents per bushel. And wheat is going to get $0.14 cents per bushel. And it looks like the way I read it to date right now, these initial payment rates are based on only 50% of your production. So whatever you register with your FSA office, You'll get 50% of that coming back to you in commodity payments with those numbers that I just said. I think the question that Mike and I still both have is, 
Is this going to be based on a producer's total, a county average, a state average? I, I think right now, Mike, what we're, we're thinking is based on your average yield on your specific operation. Yeah, and it's not average at all. It's it's your reported yield. Well, You're going to get paid a buck sixty-five right. per bushel yeah. of soybeans that you produced. Right. Uh, so then the other pieces to note here, because I know we do have some dairy and hog producers, your payments are going to be capped at $125,000. So if you have dairy and hogs, that's going to be a cap for both. But if you just have dairy or just have hogs, you're going to be capped there at $125,000 in payments. And then I think there was one other thing I wanted to mention here. Oh, yes. So it's going to be... Um, capped for producers if you had, what was it, 14, 15, 16, your average gross domestic income needed to be less than $900,000. Okay. Go see your FSA officer. I think yeah. that's the that's the punchline here. We got a penny in corn. We got 14 cents in wheat. We got a buck 65 in yeah. beans. For additional details, consult your friendly county FSA officer and wheat growers. Go ahead and get that proof of harvest paperwork in, and, you know, maybe they'll start sending out checks here before too long. Yeah, it sure could be. All right. Well, we also had news coming out of Washington, D.C. We've been talking for the better part of a week about how a trade deal with Mexico is so close. It's been hours away for the past week and a half. Well, it sounds like... They've come to an agreement. We don't mm -hmm. quite have all the specifics as of yet, but it was announced this morning that Mexico and uh, the United States have reached an agreement. And President Trump has said he will now pull out of NAFTA and he has invited Canada into the discussions. And, you know, Canada has continued to not really be a part of these discussions. They've been on the sidelines for the better part of about three or four months. And uh, President Trump said today that he's hoping Canada will agree to the terms they decided on by mm -hmm. Friday, but he said that Trump will sign the deal in 90 days and Congress has to approve it. And he said if Canada doesn't come to the table, President Trump said the easiest thing to do would be to tariff their cars. It would be a huge amount of money and they would we could stop it after a day. And so that's he's trying to apply a little bit of leverage. But if Canada doesn't mm -hmm. come to the table, President Trump is more than willing to keep it just a bilateral deal between the United States and Mexico. Yes. However, uh, their, Mexico's President Nieto has expressed that he does want Canada to be brought into this talk. And he said, quote, it is our wish, Mr. President, that Canada will also be able to be incorporated in all of this. So I think putting some pressure there on President Trump to get Canada into this agreement. Yeah, and uh, I think the big thing that we've learned so far that's been released is that this agreement with Mexico does not have that five-year sunset clause mm -hmm. in it. It's not doesn't end after five years. So right. uh, that was something that Mexico wanted and Canada wanted, and it sounds like President Trump used it for his negotiation tool. And now we'll see as details get rolled out, you know, what this thing actually looks like. Right. So we have 90 days, right, for Congress to approve it. Uh, President Trump will sign it in 90 days, and then Congress has to approve it. Okay. So theoretically, it could be done by the end of the year. Yes. Could be signed, yeah, yeah, stamped, yeah, and dated. I mean, as long as it was done by August 31st, theoretically, it could be on the desk of Peña Nieto in Mexico before uh, Lopez uh, Amlo takes over. The, yep. takes over as Mexican president. December 1st, which is the date we're looking for there. All right. All right. Well, 
What other news you got for us, Delaney? Well, man, after those two pieces, nothing seems quite as exciting. Um, but got some dicamba news here for you Illinois producers that are tuning in. Uh, got some new dicamba recommendations that it looks like a group out of Illinois is going to propose here. Um, and those suggestions are coming from the Illinois Fertilizer and Chemical Association for suggestions that they've, I think, suggested to the EPA for producers in Illinois. And that's going to include, one, that growers should submit the type of soybean trait planted on all sides of any extend fields that is intended to be treated with dicamba. Two, uh, that you cannot apply if any sensitive crops are adjacent to those. I think sensitive crops could include things like grapes or, you know, some of those specialty crops. I think if you have organics next to you, that might be considered a sensitive crop. Uh, three, you do not apply the dicamba products beyond the V6 growth stage for soybeans, and you cannot apply them after June 30th of each calendar year. Okay, so that's what they're hoping the EPA yes. will sign off on when yep. they do their recertification. Correct. All right. Well, we've got news out of China today as we'll talk about with Darren Newsom here in just a little bit for our hashtag Market Monday discussion. Uh, pork was limit up. Lean hogs were limit up the first uh, first three contracts anyway. And predominantly because of the NAFTA news, at least that was what spiked the rally. But we also had a report out of China that Kafka Meat Holdings, which is that huge Chinese importer, has been importing pork from Chile the European Union, and other countries, including Brazil, Argentina, and it looks like a few other smaller South American countries, in a way to keep American pork from getting onto their shores. So I thought that was interesting that it does appear, at least to this point, that China has found alternate supplies of pork Mm. that uh, it doesn't need the U.S., which makes Mexico all the more important for uh, the American pork producer. Yeah, and we're gonna we're definitely going to get to that here with Darren in just a little bit. Mike, the only other piece of news I had before we get to our good conversation with Darren Newsom is about the wheat genome. More than 200 researchers around the world have just released an article saying that they've finally cracked the complete genome of the wheat product, specifically what variety here, the Chinese spring wheat variety. And that's been after 13 years of research. The article that was published in the Journal of Science was authored by scientists from 73 research institutions in 20 countries. Does it say what this means? Like, what are they going to do now with wheat that we've got the genome? Well, so it specifically is for the Chinese spring wheat variety, which is, I guess, one of the largest ones used in the production of bread. And Mm -hmm. it is the highest quality genome sequence produced to date for wheat. And so basically now that they have this completed, this genome mapped, they're going to be able to improve um, traits in this specific wheat and work to get higher yields and better nutrition out of this wheat variety. Gotcha. So it allows more of a pinpoint type of development of the variety. All right. Very cool. Well, I have just one other piece of news before we jump into the markets, and this is from the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition. Uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the Farm Bill Conference that is currently ongoing between the House and the Senate versions, and these folks are out there warning against adopting the House's language on CSP, the Conservation Stewardship Program. Uh, NASC says if 
the House version of this is adopted. Agricultural states across the Midwest, Delta, Plains, and Pacific Northwest would cumulatively lose $7 billion hmm. in funding from the conservation stewardship program. So I thought that was interesting. I, I, that aspect of the House bill didn't get much focus with all the talk of uh, work requirements for SNAP. Yeah, absolutely. That might have been one that's been overshadowed here, Mike. Absolutely. But with that, Delaney, what do you say? We jump into the markets. Let's do it. Our markets are brought to us by our good friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can get expert analysis and uh, and experience right at your fingertips by calling 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner.com. And we've got a down day across the board in the grain market. Starting off with corn, the September contract down one and three quarters at 346 and three quarters. December down one and a quarter. Finish at 361 and a half. Soybeans, September contract down seven and a quarter cents at three, excuse me, 834 and three quarters. November down seven to close the day at 848 and a quarter. In the wheat pit, September Chicago wheat down 15 and a half cents at 499 and a quarter. The December contract down 14 to finish the day at 522 and a half. Looking over on the livestock side, different picture. We've got a lot of green on the screen here. In live cattle, the August contract up $1.95, closed at 108.20. The October up $2.60 to finish at 109.30. In feeder cattle, front month August up $1.02.50 at 150.22.5. September contract up $3.20 to close at 150.67.5. And And in lean hogs, as I mentioned earlier, the October contract limit up, up the daily $3 trading limit at 50. 54.77 and a half and December limit up as well. Close the day at 54.22 and a half. Jumping over to take a quick look at the dairy market in class three milk. The April contract was up a penny at 15.04 with September up 15 cents to close at 16.36. Before we jump into our hashtag market Monday conversation with Darren Newsom, let's get a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. I've got Phil Long, agronomy specialist for Latham High Tech Seeds, on the line with me today. And Phil, it sounds like a lot of folks have been seeing or possibly seeing some sudden death syndrome. How should they go about identifying if that's in their fields or not? Yeah, sure. There, there's a, this is the perfect time to be seeing it out there. You know, around that R5, R6 time period is when it really starts to show up. And you know, it's got that intervenal chlorosis that comes out and turns into necrosis. Typical leaves will start to fall off too. Um, but really, the key diagnoser for it is, is, is pulling a plant and splitting the stem at the lower part of the, the stem. That's really when you can tell the difference if you split it apart and you see discoloration in the outside cortex tissue. That's where you'll be able to tell versus a brown stem rot, which the very center of the pith is going to actually be a brown and skeletalized. So those are the kind of the two key diagnostics between the two and, and not confusing one versus the other. Phil, if, if folks do find those in their fields, is there anything they can do once they find it, or is it crops over from there? Yep, a lot of times they'll finish filling out uh, the best they can until the, the crop actually stops growing completely. It is a vascular, they're both vascular diseases, fungal diseases, so it'll eventually kill the plant. Um, there's nothing you can do other than and plan ahead, you know, for next year, and something, plant, something like our, our ironclad soybean lines that have tolerances to those particular, uh, especially sudden death syndrome, those diseases, your best method going forward. All right, Phil. Thanks again. And folks, if you have any questions about sudden death syndrome or other agronomic questions, you can head to LathamSeeds.com or call 877-GO-LATHAM. 
Well, folks, it is Hashtag Market Monday, and joining us on the podcast today is Mr. Sunshine himself, Darren Newsom. And Darren, how you doing today? I'm doing well, Mike. How are you? You know, I, I can't complain too much. I'm not a grain seller in here today, so I, I can't complain a lot. But we got to talk about these markets. We had President Trump announce today that, you know, perhaps Mexico signed an agreement. We thought maybe a piece of positive trade news would have goosed this thing higher. But instead, we just continue to see weakness pretty well all across the board. Mm-hmm. Let's talk beans right off the bat. Darren, what's happening in the soybean market? Where is all this pressure coming from? Too many beans. We have uh, we have a lot of beans, and, we, and we're dealing with a weak Brazilian real. And so right now, we're still making shipments and all that. Not surprising. Um, everyone's looking ahead, though. I mean, what we have to look at, you know, we're looking at, you know, the possibility of another record crop. We're looking at the continued possibility that next year we could actually see trade, uh, trade wars, trade spats, whatever you want to call them, actually come into play. Uh, boiling it down, we just have too many soybeans. We absolutely do, Darren. I want to ask you a couple of questions about that. Um, what are you looking for for a carryover this year if we do have a record crop and then do you hold weight to what the crop tour found last year for yields across their two legs of the tour? Well, I'll answer your first question or your second question first, and that's okay. no, I don't. Uh, I, and it, no, well, I'll say no disrespect to the crop tour, but you know, folks can take it however they want. I don't, I don't ever put any credence whatsoever on any crop tour numbers. I mean. I'll wait to see what comes in off the combine once once they start rolling this fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for what we can expect, um, you know, I'm, I'm still going to go back to the analysis that I did following the, the June quarterly stocks number, and unless we have seen just extraordinary fourth quarter, we're in our last the last week of the fourth quarter now. Uh, demand, you know, we could still see uh, ending stocks of soybeans 400 million bushel plus, 400, 500 million bushel for 17, 18, and then that gets carried over into, you know, and becomes beginning stocks for the next mm-hmm. marketing year. So, you know, I'm going to stick with that for now. Uh, basis, again, basis and future spreads certainly are indicating that that's probably closer to reality than not. Uh, and we'll go from there. Uh, you know, it just gives us a very large starting point. So, Darren, let's let's think about this as a producer. I go out there, I look at my field, you know, here in, in East Central Iowa anyway. Uh, beans look good. We just caught some rain last night. They're filling in nice, very tall. But like you say, we'll wait and see what happens when we get to the combine. How should I handle marketing if I if I believe I'm undersold up to this point so far in the year, looking at that potential weakness ahead in the basis and just the, the horror stories we're hearing out of the northern Great Plains on uh, soybean cash prices. Well, it's going to be tough. Um, there's no getting around it. Now, every year we, we do, we will, I, I shouldn't say we will, but we tend to see uh, a rally at some point in the market in the year post-harvest. So, I mean, if you don't want to do anything and just wait for that, um, you can you can always do the you know the four letter word uh, for marketing, which is hope. Hope that it mm-hmm. happens again next year. Um, if you're not really willing to build your marketing plan on hope, you can look out 
uh, at the uh, you can look at at the carry and the future spreads. Maybe try to take advantage by hedging out versus the May or July or whatever delivery period you would be comfortable. This is if you've got some on-farm storage, uh, you can look out into the May July uh, time frame and you know May and, and try to get some hedges on there. The problem there is it leaves you open on basis. Uh, and if basis does continue to collapse, that's going to be an issue. It's just that you're just pushing that issue down the road a bit. Uh, it's going to be tough. Uh, you know, best thing that we can hope for, again, there's that four-letter word, the best thing that we can hope for is South America has another problem. Uh, and China has to return uh, to looking at taking a, taking a look at U.S. soybeans or buy uh, more U.S. soybeans for the 18-19 marketing year. Darren, I asked this question on Market to Market the other day, but I think it's a question that I want to ask again and get your perspective on. Usually, coming out of harvest, uh, we we sell beans right off the combine and we hold corn. Do you think it's going to be inverted this year because of all the trade and tariff stuff going on? Yeah, if we look at what markets are telling us themselves, I mean – the carries aren't as strong in corn. Uh, basis isn't as weak as it, in corn as it is in soybeans. The corn market's saying it probably needs to be sold, mm-hmm. you know, that it's more bullish short-term than soybeans. So, you know, if I'm going to hedge and hold something, based on carry alone, I'd certainly look at soybeans. If I start to build in a personal opinion on what what could happen with basis, uh, I would see more appreciation in the corn market. So that's a tough call. Uh, I think you're going to see some folks sell corn at harvest because the carry's not there. Others are going to who have plenty of on-farm storage are going to hold corn with the anticipation that maybe we do continue to sell into Mexico. Maybe maybe our corn markets, maybe our corn demand stays stronger than soybeans. And that helps out with basis down the road. Uh, it's going to help corn. It's very possible that we see a very similar pattern to what most normal years are, where corn's held, soybeans are dumped, and we just walk away from the bean market. And Darren, for the past couple of years, at least the last two years, we've seen that final trading day in August be the harvest low in the corn market. That's coming up here on Friday. Uh, you think we're going to put the low in again? No. I don't Why not? I think we're, I I just don't think that we've built in as how large the crop actually is, uh-huh. um, as as how large the crop is potentially. Let me put it that way. Number one, it just seems awfully early. It seemed awfully early the last couple of years. Could this be our new seasonal norm? Sure, it could. Um, what I'm going to be interested in is how the December contract is acting as it approaches or if it holds above its previous low. If it does, it gives it a better opportunity to say, okay, this week is the low and maybe we go up from here. But if soybeans do fall, like I think that they should, I really don't see how corn is going to be able to make the argument that it needs to stay higher. Darren, let's talk about wheat because you're definitely a wheat guy. Are the wheat markets following the corn and soybeans at this point, or are they more of a leader in pulling down corn and soybean prices with them? I think I think wheat is doing what wheat likes to do, and that's just go off on its own. Um, I don't really see any relationship right now okay. that wheat's leading or following. I just think wheat wants to follow. You had a nice run 
you know, had a little bit of a bump. Now we're heading into planting season, you know, plant, uh, drilling season, planting season. Uh, it's just around the corner. There's talk of more acres, so you're seeing some pressure build on the market. We still aren't selling anything. Um, you know, there's mixed news across the globe. There's just really no fundamental reason at this point for wheat to maintain the type of rally that it, that, that it posted here not too long ago. So it's falling. I think it's still broken away from corn and soybeans. It's something that you have to watch all on its own where corn and soybeans tend to move together. Uh, they will, they, there can be times when they all move together, one's leading, one's following. I just don't think that's the case right now. Darren, again, on the wheat question, you've been saying for a couple of years that American farmers, you know, really ought to get out of the wheat business. There's no profit there. There's no reward there to be growing it. And farmers listen to their bottom lines. We saw fewer and fewer mm-hmm. acres of wheat. Do you think that rally we had here two, three weeks ago has pulled more acres back into the uh, winter Absolutely. wheat? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. We get new crop July over six bucks. I heard from quite a few farmers down in the Kansas area that, you know, this that was enough to bring them back in. And they don't have all the costs associated with dry land corn or irrigated corn, dry land soybeans, whatever the case might be. So, yes, I do think it was enough, and I think that's one of the things that's going to put some pressure on the market, particularly since we have seen more moisture this summer in parts of Kansas than we normally do. Once we get to the planting stage, you know, fall and winter, we'll see what happens then as far as moisture goes. But the pattern seems right now that there is more moisture coming into the southern plains this could certainly help the wheat crop. You know, the idea was, and this, you know, it's a, it's a very simple economic template. When wheat was so cheap, why plant it? Hmm. Tighten up the supplies yeah. a little bit. Then when the market rallies, then you plant more, particularly if it's cost effective. At that point, you're pretty much anticipating the market to come down, lock it in, what you can, what you feel comfortable with, walk away and see what happens the next year. Darren, with all that being said, do you see a large number of soybean acres transitioning for the 2018-19 marketing or 19-20 marketing year to wheat or corn or cotton? Ah, great question. Probably not. You know, the U.S. likes to plant corn and soybeans. If we break soybeans into the $5 range, which I've been saying for a while now. And you that anticipate that enough. this year? What's that again? Do you anticipate that this year? I still I still do. This 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 coming marketing year, mm-hmm. let me put it that way. Okay. The eighteen nineteen marketing year. Uh, that could be enough to make people scratch their head and say, Hey, you know, I may not want to plant as many soybeans. But I still think we're going to plant ninety million acres plus of corn. If we do lose some soybean acres could very easily go to corn, particularly if there's still solid demand. Cotton has been making some gains, particularly in the Southern Plains. Uh, so I think we could see a slight adjustment to acres. I don't think, unless we get that dramatic in the cash soybean price, uh, I don't think it's going to be anything, you know, to really get overly excited about as far as all of a sudden talk about a shortage of soybeans, because from what I'm understanding right now, South America is already planning on increasing its soybean uh, planted area for its next crop. Now, Darren, I want to take us away from the grains and into the livestock real quick. Had a huge mm-hmm. day today, pretty mm-hmm. well all down the board, mm-hmm. live feeders and lean hogs. Uh, from a technical perspective, looking at this fat cattle market, 
What, what are you seeing? I, I just pulled up a chart looking at a three-month of the October, and it looks like maybe a head and shoulders, and we're moving back down. What do you think? You know, it's funny. Uh, I had a I had a long-time reader, a friend of mine, asking for my thoughts on feeder cattle late last night. So I, I, you know, after the open this morning, I sent him my thoughts. And naturally, I was bearish. I mean, what else can I be? I'm looking at a gap down on the feeder cattle market on the weekly chart. And so I'm saying all this, and no sooner do I send it off to him <laughs> than feeders are limit up, you know, live cattle, hogs are all rallying. I don't think one day changes anything. Uh, I've always been in the belief one day does not set a trend, but it's certainly something to watch. It was a very, it was a very explosive day today, but if you look at the charts, they still look bearish. Um, you know, at some point, that selling will run out of momentum that we will see this market get tired of going down. That's the general theory. Uh, I haven't changed. I haven't jumped over to the bull side of this bandwagon yet. I'm still bearish, uh, particularly uh, feeder cattle, but also live. But if the buyers want to come back in, this would be a great opportunity for them. Darren, I want to talk about lean hogs here as we wrap up our market discussion because lean hogs had a obviously significant day today with the announcement of a of a trade negotiation here with Mexico. Is today's mm-hmm. prices just a short term reflection of that announcement, or do you think this is going to add some stability to the lean hog market and, and provide some rallies here? It's not often that we can put the the term stability and hog well, in the same sentence. <laughs> I I don't think we're there yet. I think this was, you know, this this was a headline reaction, even though, again, we, we heard chatter about this for quite some time, and I'm not convinced, number one, of the scope of this, you know, supposed deal or, you know, what all is supposed to be involved with this. Um, I think it's short-term. I think we're going to have to see some longer-term adjustments to supply and demand before we can actually say, look, the hog market's going to turn around. It's going to start getting better. Uh, to me, this was maybe a, a one, two-day deal, and then hogs being hogs, we could easily be limited down within the next couple of days. So uh, unless we see some actual solid change in fundamental. Darren, and today's hog market, I think, leads to my final question for you, which is you are a technical analyst. You look at the spreads between the different months. You look at the charts, see chart formations and you know buying patterns in history. What do you do in an environment like this where an out-of-the-blue trade agreement or a tariff thing or, you know, random tweets at 2 in the morning can spike the market, limit up, or limit down? How do you as a technical analyst incorporate that into your perspectives? Number one, I ignore daily charts because of this sort of thing. Uh, Chaos theory basically tells us that, you know, an unexpected change can happen at any time. Uh, and when you have the president who, a president who likes to tweet whatever happens to cross his mind at that very second, that just adds to the chaos and really makes, as far as I'm concerned, as far as, you know, marketing these, these, uh, these crops and livestock are concerned, short-term trends, short-term signals are basically meaningless. So I try to focus more on the weekly. Does this change the weekly chart? Does it change the monthly chart? The intermediate and long-term patterns. And right now, I'd have to say no. Okay. Well, Darren, we certainly appreciate your insight on today's interesting Market Monday moves. Well, as always, I appreciate you guys having me on. 
All right. Well, there's Darren's outlook on things. It's good to have him back on and, and talk to Darren Newsom, isn't it, Delaney? It certainly is, Mike. Yes. Well, folks, we are going to be at the Farm Progress Show for the next three days. So if you are going to be there, drop us a line. Find us on social media, Facebook or Twitter. Just search for Ag News Daily and we'll be there. Or you can visit our website and shoot us an email right through the site at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go, Mike. 